0: Last week, we started a series called Alone, and I shared with you about, uh, really, that they consider now that loneliness is, as they called it, epidemic levels in society. Now, this isn't just here in America. This is a global thing. I mean, you know, I mean, right now we hear a lot about epidemics in the news, don't we? got the coronavirus going on, and they're like, it's an epidemic, and we hear all about it. And, uh, you know, but they say, that, and and research would tell you, that people feel more alone today than at any time in human history. Uh, And there's lots of reasons why they believe this. Uh, You know, I was doing, as I was studying, looking into some things, you know, I thought this was really interesting, but they said that this was in 2011, that this study was done, but they compared it to 25 years previous and they said that on a daily basis that we consume five times the information from the late 80s. In 25 years that we were consuming five times more information on a daily. And you know, and so we're constantly being bombarded. They say that any individual sees anywhere from 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day so we are constantly being bombarded with information. We're constantly being bombarded for our attention. And what that can cause is it can actually cause us to want to withdraw. And just to, you know, it, it, because we're constantly, what, have just information overload. I mean, you ever have one of those moments where you're just like, I just want to go home and turn the lights off and like turn the phone off and don't turn the TV on and I don't want to talk to nobody. Just leave me alone. And what can happen is that because of all of this information overload, it actually can create in us loneliness. Because we have all of this coming at us, but nothing actually is connecting. And and it can create this this seemingly just, does anybody see me? Does anybody know that that I even exist? And we feel this in our culture. Even subconsciously, we feel it. And so last week I was sharing with you about the importance of our connection with God. Is that without that, is that, that that there I believe that there is a spot in us, in our spirit, that only God can feel. And if that is not filled, we will never we will always feel like something is missing. Why? Because it is. There is something missing, and, and so that it's so important in that the value of our relationship with the Lord that all other relationships flow out of that one is that you can have all the friends you want and still be lonely. I mean, like real friends, not just Facebook friends, like real friends. You can have a dozen friends that you hang out with, that you talk with all the time, and you connect with all the time. And and socially, you can be very connected and yet still feel, feel very alone. And why is that? It's probably because, most likely, it's because of your relationship with the Lord is not really that vibrant. It's not that connected. And so there's a disconnect there. And so it's important that we have what a healthy, a good, a strong connection with the Lord. Because out of that, because here's the thing, is that even if you go through seasons, because I've been through seasons where I've had lots of friends, and then I go through seasons where it seems like I have no friends. You know, it's like the old song. How does it go? Uh, oh, I, what is it? What? Did you say what I think you said? Did you say friends in low places? I don't know what happened to my wife. I I, I, I don't know. Number one, my wife hates country music, so let's start with that. You know, so I mean, no, I was thinking of the woe is me. What is it? You've sang it before. I can't think. I don't know it. That's why I'm asking. If I knew it, I would say it. Anyhow, gloom, despair, and agony agony on me. There you go. Thank you. She has no idea what I'm talking about, but thank you. But look, I mean, we can deal with so many things that happen in our life that drain us. And without, and the thing is that you can go through those seasons. It's what I would consider a wilderness season. And I don't know what your particular belief is, but I have been through multiple wilderness seasons where it's me and the Lord. And I'm thinking, God, have you forsaken me? And yet God is right there with me, even though you know, I may not have the friends that I, that I had in the past. Or, and it's these moments. And in those moments of wilderness, what it actually causes me to do is to draw closer to God. You know, we just went through 21 days of prayer and fasting here at the beginning of the year. And part of the the goal, if you will, but part of why I encourage you to to participate in that is because when you remove some other things, it will force you to press into the Lord. It will. And, And there's times where the Lord will remove things in our life. And so loneliness in and of itself or being alone is not necessarily always a bad thing. Sometimes it might actually be the Lord removing comfort from our life. And yet we could actually be fighting against the Lord saying, I just need more friends. I need more connection. And we can try to fill our life with things that will never fulfill us. And I shared with you last week about how those are like empty wells that we go back to time and time again. It's like, if I, you know, if I had that new pair of shoes, if I had that new car, if I had this, or I had that, we think we can buy our way to, to fulfillment and to happiness. And, and those things will never fulfill. They'll never bring about fulfillment in our life. And so, you know, and the reality is, is that we are Way more lonely and people are much more lonely than we even realize and this you know and I shared last week even about how sometimes it's the people who have the biggest personality and seem like everything's going perfect it can be some of the loneliest people behind closed doors you know and so we can't just look at the at the at the facade and say well they look great when it really when you really get down to it people are struggling people are hurting And and so we need to realize that not just us, because, I mean, look, we can find ourselves lonely. Let me give you what the Bible says as a prescription for that. If you need a friend, here's how how you handle that. The Bible says, show yourself friendly, and you will find yourself with friends. So don't be a grouch, and people will come around. You know what I'm saying? I mean, make the investment in other people. In other words, don't be so consumed with yourself that you never look up. And look around. Because what happens when you start to care about somebody else, you stop caring about yourself as much. And it activates something, and it's the heart of God in us, is that there is fulfillment in that. And God will begin to work. And so, you know, it's very important. And so this morning I want to share with you some things. And the Lord changed my message at 10 o'clock last night. And uh, so I thought I knew what I was preaching. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah doesn't happen that often, uh, but it does happen, and I'm totally okay with it, although I would have liked a little more sleep last night, but that's okay. And, uh, you know, but I do have, you know, we were just, and I, I want to tie this in even with what we were just singing, because at the end of the service, and I'm going to pray over you, but the Lord gave me a picture this morning of what this was going to look like, and we were actually just singing about it, is that healing is happening in this room. Now, I didn't know the set, let me, well, I talked about the set list. I didn't pay attention to the songs this morning, so that wasn't, and I don't even know who picked the set, so, you know, I, I have no idea. But, you know, in, in, off, in at the offering time here, a few minutes ago, I told you that I, I was just encouraging you to, what, connect with God today dear, in worship. And we stepped over into that moment, and you may not even realize it, but you might have already been speaking forth what God wanted to do in your heart this morning. And so, you know, as I've been praying, I've been wrestling with this message a little bit and uh, what to share and how to share it. And and it's a very broad topic and the Lord got it really focused last night uh, because it was going to be more broad and the Lord was like, nope, this is what I want to focus on. And, um, you know, and so today uh, what we're talking about is our family connection. And and as I said, this is a very broad topic, very, very, very broad. And, uh, but Uh, You know, I believe that the enemy, the devil, is really, and, and I'll show you this in a moment, has declared war on the family, and it's nothing new. As a matter of fact, we don't see the devil in Scripture until there is a family formed. The moment that there was a family, guess who shows up? Satan. So first recorded, now, he existed. I'm not saying he wasn't there, but I'm saying in Scripture, I mean, there was time between Adam being creative and Eve being created. Where was Satan during that time? He didn't show up until Adam and Eve and God put them in a relationship. A family was formed and Satan showed up. And he has had a full-out war against family ever since. And so I believe that God... His original intention was fam- for family was this, was to bring blessing, to bring joy, to bring fruitfulness in our life, and yet the enemy has been in full-on assault mode against family. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The devil messes with me a lot more once I got married, and I felt like once we had kids, it was even more. Why? Because now it influences and affects even more people. In a greater way. And I believe that that we would be wise to understand how the enemy works. And I want to share some things with you. I'm going to get very personal this morning. Not just telling you my stuff. But I'm going to get personal with you. But this is what I believe that the Lord wants to, to speak and to do this morning. And so in Genesis chapter one, we see this. Most of you know the scriptures, but verse 27, 28 says that God created human beings in his image. Say, well, why does Satan hate us so much? That's it right there. Because you are the image bearer of God. So when he sees us, he's reminded of God. Now, God is not male nor female. There are attributes of both... Sides that I believe make up God, but He is, he's not, neither male nor female. But he does say that they created us. God created us in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them. You know, Abraham didn't get blessed till he had Eve. Just a thought. That's what the Bible says. He put them together and then said, I'm going to bless that. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply multiply fill the earth and govern it and so it's important that we understand that our family represents another family our individual family represents as believers the family of god and we know how society is today and unfortunately the statistics in the church are no different than the statistics in the world as far as marriage and the success of marriage Now, I'm not here to heap condemnation on anybody. That's not my point. But what I am saying is that we ought to be aware that there's an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy your relationships. Why? Because if he can destroy your relationships, he can isolate. And if he can isolate you, he can overcome you. That is the way he works. He is a predator. It is what he does. And so, you know... um, You know, like I said, there are many, many ways that I could take this this morning, but I want to show you a passage from Scripture, and this isn't even a married relationship, which makes it even better for the point that I want to make this morning, but it's inside of a family Uh, because I I believe that if we're wise and if we understand how the enemy works, and and look, you'll have to stick with me a little bit this morning because, again, we're talking about being alone, but yet I'm going to talk about what seemingly may not be connected, but I promise you it is. So, you know, there's, there's two ways to deal with problems, right? You deal with it on the surface, or you deal with it at the root. Well, the problem is we can deal with surface things sometimes, and I can tell you three steps to have better kids, four steps to have a better marriage, and I'm not against those things. I would rather deal with the root that would affect every relationship than just the surface and so that's my goal this morning. And so i want to share with you the story. And I'm actually not going to read it because it takes five chapters of the Bible to read the story. So I'm going to tell you the story. And so there's a story in the Bible in 2 Samuel. It starts in verse, or chapter 13, goes through chapter 18. But I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes. How many of you know what cliff notes are? A few of you know. It's the shortened abbreviated version of a book. It's my kind of book. That's what it is. And uh, so I'm going to give you the cliff notes here. So what happens is is that David, obviously we know the story. David was king of Israel. He was serving. He had, you know, he had several wives. He has kids, all these things. And so uh, one day, one of David's sons fell in love with really his stepsister. Now the Bible's about to get weird. I'm just telling you. I'm just letting you know. And... um, you know, and so that's what happened in the Bible says that he became overwhelmed with his desire. And so he fakes sick. One of his buddies says, hey, if you fake sick, tell your dad, make her, come buy me some, bring me some food, make me dinner, whatever. And so long story short, and this is this is in the Bible, you go read it, he rapes her. So his own family. And then the Bible says the moment that, that he did that, that he just as severely as he loved her, that fast, he despised her and wanted nothing to do with her. And she was, I mean, she had begged him not to do this, all these things. So the story goes on. Well, this girl's name was Tamar. Well, Tamar's brother, his name was Absalom. Absalom was one of David's sons. This guy named, I'm going to attempt to say, it, is Amnon, is how the best way I know how to say it. I may be wrong, but that's, that's my guess. So the moment that Absalom finds out what has happened, he begins plotting revenge. He says, I'm getting Amnon. I'm going to get him back. He waits years to get payback. And so he invites all of his brothers to his house. And in a moment of time, he gets his brother drunk and he kills him. Now you would think that was the end of the story. But it's really not. It's actually just the beginning of the turmoil of this family. Now this is David, king of Israel, and, and he had his, his sons, and he was a valiant warrior and all these things, but what happened is that in time, and I'm gonna give you the backstory of why, what I believe happened, and then I'm gonna tie it into how I believe this plays in our own life. Because really, this is the story about a father and son, and really about the deterioration of their relationship. But what happens is that this unbelievable evil thing has happened and David as the father did nothing about it and what began to happen in Absalom's heart was that he actually began to resent his father he begins to plot revenge and that just festers in his life over the years he finally gets his revenge and thinks that's the end of the story but it wasn't because why that festering continued and sometimes we can do this in relationships if we're not careful. We think, well, I'm just going to tell them off and I'm going to feel better. How many of you know that feel better lasts for a moment and then you feel bad? You're like, Man, I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I, I, could, I wish I could take those words back. Why? Because words are weighty and they have power. But in this story, we see that Absalom actually begins, and this, this, this hatred is really what it became. At first, it just became this offense, right? And it festers, and it festers, and it festers. He kills his brother. It doesn't get any better, and it festers, and it festers, and it festers. It turns into hate of his father because he's mad because David didn't do anything to protect his family, to honor his family. He didn't take care of his own daughter. And Absalom says, then I'll do it for you. If you won't do it, I will. I will. And so the story goes on and ultimately Absalom ends up going to war against David. David is the king of Israel and Absalom begins to talk to people and say, well, if I was king, I would do, hey, you don't need to, just let me tell you what to do. Don't, don't bother the king. I can tell you what to do. And he begins to sway people to his side. And so now he is scheming to overthrow. He, he, he's actually created a coup to overthrow his father's throne and his plan. And even some of Absalom's men would say, hey, let's just go to war. We get everybody else away. We only need to kill one man. You only want David dead. It got so bad that in one day, 20,000 men died. And then it says, and even more men died in the woods. We don't even know why. It just says they were out in the woods and they died. I don't know if this was like Lord of the Rings trees or something. I don't, I don't know what happened. But something happened out there. And so you've lost 20,000 plus men because a father and son are really at war. And here's the thing. Even if you, read, if you go and read these passages, David was not mad at Absalom. He wasn't trying to kill him. But yet Absalom had this this thing in him that he would not let go. And we see this. And so for parents, I would encourage you with this is to take what I'm about to share with you seriously. Because we see this in the life of David. Is that David knew how to be a public success as king. David knew how to be a public success as a warrior. David knew how to be publicly successful. But often had moments of private failure. Now we know about Bathsheba we we, most people know about that one most people don't know about Absalom most people don't know about the daughter that he did not defend he was a, a public success and yet a private failure to his own family now the good news for David and we know this is that he had enough sense to run back to the Lord and to repent that's why the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart he wasn't perfect but he knew where to run to And that's so important for us. And so, you know, and so this morning what I want to talk about and share with you about is this because, and, and it happens in family relationships. And the reason that I felt like the Lord put this in my heart is because just as I shared last week, is that your relationship with the Lord is preeminent, but your family relationships affect how you see him. What you know is normal will creep into your spiritual life, and there's no way for you to undo that. The Lord has to help you to do this. And so, uh, you know, I want to give you an example of this. And this is just one example. Now, psychologically speaking, medically speaking, every person has this. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't tell you. But I'm just telling you from research is that every human being has a father wound. There is something, and it doesn't mean that your dad was horrible. He may have been. You may have had the greatest dad on the planet. You still have a wound from him. Now, let me give you some examples of what these could be. He didn't show up. I wanted him to come to this game, and he didn't show up. Now, it seems like a minor deal. It doesn't seem like a big thing, except that it festers. My dad never told me he was proud of me or good job. Now, you can also have a mother wound, but... The father wound is, medically speaking, everybody has it. Because there's some way that, that, that your father did not measure up to your expectation at some moment, at some time. Maybe he said he never loved you. Maybe he never talked and yet silence speaks really loud, doesn't it? Sometimes silence is, is worse than words. Words. Because you're left to fill in the blanks and to wonder. And and so, you know, wounds that come or can come from many people. But some of the most deep come from our own families. Some of our greatest hurts, some of our greatest wounds come from the people who were supposed to love us, who were supposed to protect us, who were supposed to care for us, and they didn't. And that's what happened with Absalom. He said, you were supposed to defend my sister. You were supposed to defend our family's honor. And David, you didn't do it. So he murders and then he plots to take out his own father. Why? Because he, there was this festering, there was this father wound in his heart that would not go away. And the longer it went, the louder it got. See, we can be motivated by things and not even know why. Why? That's why I love the scripture in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, where it says the word of God is what it's, it's quick, it's sharp, it's powerful. It goes all the way down. It goes through this list of things and it says it can divide between the thoughts and the intents of your heart. I say it this way. The Bible can tell you why you do what you do. It can show you your motivation, even when you're not aware of it. And I've had this happen many times where it's like, oh, that's why I acted that way. That's why I responded this way. And it's the Holy Spirit by the word of God that will reveal things in my life or reveal things in my heart. See, here's a, a powerful truth that you have to know. Is that every wound carries a message. It communicates something to you. Let me give you an example of this. You may have come from a broken family part of your wound could say this like when i say broken i mean a divorced family like your your parents split up the message could be it's your fault if you would have been better your parents wouldn't have split up if they would have never they would have been better off if you would have never been born see there's a message in that wound that that it is a lie of the enemy he is a master manipulator And he will turn any situation, and every wound speaks. And unfortunately, if it was a cut on our hand, we would do what? We would go get some neosporin. We would tape it up. We would cover it up so that what? So that it doesn't get infected. The problem with an internal heart wound like this is that we don't even know that it's happened. We don't even acknowledge it. And yet it festers, it festers, it festers, it festers. And guess what? It begins to spread and it begins to affect many other areas of our life and ultimately affects our relationship with the Lord. Because it spills over. Why? Because it's not just a soul thing. It actually begins to affect our spirit. So here's my question. If every wound carries a message, what does your wound carry? What does, what does it say to you? That's a question that you need to think about. That you need to consider. And I don't care how old or how young you are. We all have wounds. As a matter of fact, most of us are wounded before we ever get out of, out of elementary school. I would say most because I can't 100% say yes, but think about it. If you really took some time to think back to elementary, you can think of times where you were hurt, not like kind of. I mean like something, and even though you may have joked it off, laughed it off, But you walked away with a wound and it changed your personality. Now, my personality as a child, I'm the baby of the family. Woo! Party time, right? But because of wounds that I I had experienced, it altered my personality completely. I went from being the center of attention to being alone in my room. Like I didn't want to be around people. Why? Because the message was that people hurt. So how do I keep people from hurting me? I just stay away from people. That was the message in the wound. Don't trust. Don't trust. Be guarded. Keep your guard up because you don't, you don't know. You, you think you know people, but you don't know people. That was the message in the wound. And that was in me before middle school. And I lived that way really into my later 20s until the Lord began to show me these things and began to reveal to me what the enemy had been stealing in my life. Why? Because I had believed some things. Now, not all of these things are completely true. Sometimes it's perception, but let me tell you, this is why this matters, is that we, we project any wound that we have, especially from a father, especially from a father, your natural father, you will project that onto your heavenly father. So if your, if your natural father abandoned you, you believe at any moment God's going to abandon you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. If your dad never loved you, it will be very hard for you to what? Believe that God loves you. It would be extraordinarily difficult. It will be a battle that you will face. Let me give you an example of this. And I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm, I'm phrasing this a certain way. Is that my perception in my own life was that I earned everything with my dad. Now, I had a good dad. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But by most of people would say, your dad was really good. I'll say it this way: my dad tried. He tried to to serve the Lord. He acknowledged when he was wrong. He was a great role model in many things. But and and I say it's my perception because it's not really true. Because when I look back on it, I'm like, well, I didn't earn everything. My dad taught me to work. There's nothing wrong with that. You want something work for it. I remember one Christmas. I got a pair of shoes and I was probably in elementary, middle school, but I got a size six shoe and it happened to be a pair of Jordans. As a matter of fact, Joel just got them given to him by his family. I saw that on Facebook this week and I, I got this pair of shoes. It was a size six. Well, the problem was I had grown, so I needed a size six and a half. If you've ever had a boy, something happens between size six shoe and size six and a half. And it's the difference of going from a boy's shoe to a man's shoe. So no big deal, we're going to go exchange them, right? We go to exchange it, well, the price doubled because now it was a man's shoe. Now you have to remember this was 30 years ago. They were about $125. My dad's response was there's no way I'm paying, over a, no way I'm paying $100 for a pair of shoes. If I remember correctly, I think they were $65. So this tells you how much I remember about it from 30 years roughly ago. And my dad said, if you want those shoes, you're going to go make the other 60. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not mad at my dad about it. I'm just using it as a game. I wasn't like bitter and like, you wouldn't give me the. I've never had those shoes, by the way. So, Joel, I'm going to borrow yours one day just to know what it felt like, you know. And I remember, I I mean, this is crazy how much I remember this. I, I, I saved $110 and I got tired of working. And I went and bought a different pair of shoes. I just thought, that ain't worth that. I mean, who knows what I was doing to make money. I was probably like 10 or 11, probably mowing yards or something. But, but my perception was, is I had to earn everything with my dad. Nothing was given. Everything was earned. But the problem is, that spilled over into, when I, when I started walking with the Lord, guess what? how I viewed my heavenly father? Nothing was given. Grace I, no understanding of grace whatsoever. Why? Because grace is given freely. Nope, I have to earn it. I like the Old Testament. Give me the law. I do A, B, and C. I get this. I do this, this, and this. I mean, I would have been a good Pharisee. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me the law. Let me do it. Like, Lord, I have tied to the tenth of my income. I have done, you know, all these things. Well, that spilled over into my relationship with other people because, hey, that's the standard. You don't measure up. So I became very judgmental, and that just spilled over. So I want to do a little experiment with you. Can y'all put that on the screen for me? What color is the screen? I heard orange. I heard red. Gray. Okay. Okay. Listen to the question very closely. What color is the screen? It's it's white. I am projecting a color onto that screen. The screen is white. Or some shade of white. How about that? You can take it down. And so what happens is what? These are called what? Projectors. They project an image, a color, we use it, they're good tools, whatever. That screen is not orange. If you want to debate the color, talk to Joel. He says it's orange. But we are projecting an image that what changes the color of that screen. We can project an image on God that actually doesn't change him. It just changes our perception of him. So we could say that God is angry when in fact he's not we're just projecting on him anger. But in fact he's really not. And see this comes from a womb a wound and so you know I had to I had to learn how to what view my heavenly father in light of scripture not according to my experience. I had to but you see, the, the, and what happens, and it goes much deeper, because we're still at surface, we're about to take a dive down. Because what happens from these messages or the, you know, I, I said that every wound has a message. It tells you something about you. You know, like let's just say that somebody told you you were ugly, like a parent, especially, some a family member. If I had to guess you believe that to this day. If someone made a joke about your clothes, your shoes, you may have this unbelievable obsession with clothes. Why? Because you made a decision years ago that said, "When I can, I'm going to have some clothes." I wore, you know, hand-me-downs or I had, you know, shoes that weren't the popular things or whatever it was, and you said, "When I can, I will." And so now it's become this unhealthy thing. And that stems, why? Because that wound had a message. And you made a decision based off of that message. It's called an inner vow. It's a promise to yourself. It's where you go into self-protect mode. And you make these decisions. And you say, what does this have to do with being alone? Everything. Everything. Why? Because you have that inner vow and all of a sudden you isolate. You isolate so that you can get space between you and danger. And it really is a self-protect mechanism. How do you know when you've made an inner vow? It's really easy. Because you're going to make statements like this and they're going to begin with this. I'll never... Fill in the blank. I'll never treat my kids this way. I will never allow somebody to talk to me like this. I will never allow, you, you'll make that statement. Another, on the other side, I will always, like this is a good one, this isn't even a bad one. I will always tell my kids I love them every morning and every night because my, I was never told. That's not a bad thing. When you were younger, you might have, have had thoughts like this. When I grow up, dot, 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 fill in the, those are all inner vows. We all make them. We all have them. We have things that say, I will never, when I grow up, I'm going to do this, you know. Well, here's the problem with an inner vow. If I had allowed my inner vow to stay, which was, is that I believed that I had to earn everything from my dad, guess what I'm going to do with my kids? They will earn nothing, and I will give them everything, and I will spoil and ruin my children. Why? Because of a wound that I had, I went from one ditch, jumped over the road, went right over to the other side. They said, they're not going to earn anything. Well, they're not going to be very productive members of society then either. I want to teach my kids to what? Be independent, to have some self-value, to work, to understand what it means to work. Why? Because I'm glad that I have that value. But my inner vow would have told me you don't love your kids if you don't just give them everything they want at every moment. That's what my inner vow would have told me and I would have raised some hellions. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whew. But that vow could have, what? It would change and I would have been totally unconscious. It wouldn't have been a decision that I made. I was just responding, reacting out of a wound. So it's important that we recognize these things now, just because you make these statements, it says, I never, I'll always, when I, it doesn't mean that it is an interval. It just means it might be, you might want to give some thought to that. I mean, you may have experiences as an adult that you have written some of these statements in your heart, and it affects the way that you live. So let me give you a couple of what some of these could sound like. An interval could be something like this. No one will ever talk or treat me like that again. I've had that one. To take it even a little, well, yeah, I'll go ahead. Mine went a little further, which was, I will never be manipulated again. Never be, like even to this day, I have to fight this. And it, it actually, people try to manipulate me. I just don't care because I say I'm not manipulable. I don't even know that's a word, but I just made it up. I just don't care, and people sometimes think I'm rude, and I'm just like, nope. Give you an example of this. When I was a youth pastor, people because no one ever called me pastor, just at the church we just didn't. But sometimes he would walk to me and be like, "Hey, Pastor David," and the way they said it turned my stomach, and I just thought, mm-mm. "You can, nope, you want something." No, thank you. Now, where I still have to be careful today is when I see somebody manipulating somebody else. I want to punch them in the mouth. <laughs> you know, that's just the way. It's just, And it's, just, it's this unbelievable reaction, and it just comes. And I'm like, this ain't even affecting me, but I'm just like, mm-mm. But it, it comes out of a wound. And so, yeah, I believe that the Lord has healed me, but I also can revert back, too. I mean, I can tell you the story of, I know when the Lord healed me. It was a pretty cool moment, but, but you could have those. I would never let my wife, my husband talk to me like that. You grew up in a home. I mean, like, just as an example, these aren't, it's not necessarily an interval, but a decision that me and Dara made is that we are not going to yell and scream in our house because we both grew up in houses that yelled and screamed. We're just not going to do it. You may yell and scream; it may work great for y'all. Fine, that's, that's your house. Just don't come to my house yelling and screaming. I'll, I'll throw you out in a heartbeat. I won't even say sorry. We don't do that kind of stuff because that's the, the what we grew up in. It's just not what we want. Here's another one. I'll never let myself be poor. You may have come from nothing, and now there's this drive. It's not even about the stuff. There's this drive that's pushing, 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 pushing. And the thing is, these things are never satisfied. Like, they'll never be satisfied. You make statements like, my kids will never. How many of you have made that statement before, Well, like, seeing somebody else's kids? My kids would never do that. And then you had to eat those words later. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? You know. Here's another one. I'll never let someone break my heart like that again. Let me just address that one for a moment. If you never put yourself for your heart to be broke, you also never put your heart in a place to actually be fully loved. Because you'll stop short every time. You'll let people come to a degree. You'll have shallow relationships because you refuse to allow people to come any closer. So everything will be this. Everything will be that. Just stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away. You can come close, but only to a degree. You're a prisoner in your own body. You're a prisoner of your own life and there are there are no relationships one of the things about inner vows is they cause us to overreact and we also become unteachable in that area that means like somebody can try to talk to you counsel you give you wisdom the word of god can come but nope you are unteachable in an area that you have an interval because your experience will over will, will uh, overwhelm even fact it makes you irrational. It does. It makes all of us. It becomes the guiding force of our life. It's what pushes us, propels us forward. It affects every relationship. I've already said this, but man, it pushes us to isolate, to pull back, to pull away. And you are at best half living. At best why because it's a, it, it, we're trying to isolate ourselves from pain and pain is universal life hurts life is not perfect for anybody but we have to learn how to deal with these wounds properly not just to let them fester like Absalom did i believe that many times that we feel desperately alone that's a word that kept coming up is that people feel desperately alone. Not just kind of like, I'm a little lonely. No, like desperately alone. I believe that we feel that way many times because we can't or we aren't sure how to trust anybody. We, we got Everybody's arm length. And like, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't be my friend. If you knew the real me, you wouldn't love me. If you knew the real me, you wouldn't associate with me. If you knew what was really happening on the inside of me, you would write me off. Because you have a woman that says that to you. The problem is when we're in that place, we don't actually even trust God when we need him the most because he's the only one who can fix that. He's the only one who can heal that. He's the only one who can come in and begin to work. And yet because of that message that's being come, because of that inner vow, we've decided to what? To take control of our own destiny and not trust him. In Matthew chapter five, verse 34 through 37, it says, I say, do not make any vows to anything any vow. Do not say by heaven because that's God's throne. Do not say by the earth because it's God's footstool. Do not say by Jerusalem for that's the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you cannot turn one hair on your head, white or black. Just say a simple yes or no or, or yes, I will. No, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Any vow. That's powerful. See, inner vows actually violate God's word because that's an area that we refuse to allow God in. And any area that we refuse to allow God in, what? It limits his ability in our life. It does. Let me say it another way. Any area that we refuse to hand over to God, he is not Lord over. By definition, the, the name Lord means supreme, rule over all. But yet, not in that area. We can pick and choose the areas of our life. But every area that we do not turn over to Jesus is an area that we are bound. And the enemy is gaining ground in our hearts. And it affects every relationship. Now, the good news for us is, and we know this, there's a difference between knowledge and experience, though. We know that Jesus is what? A healer. We know that Jesus is a restorer. We were singing about it earlier. Is that healing is happening in this room? But we can sing that and we know that to be true from the Bible. But our experience may tell us something very different. The Bible tells us what the enemy has designed to destroy. Jesus wants to use to what? To strengthen and to build up. To bring about his purpose in our life. You know there are things that God wants to do. In our life, and here's the good news, and and look, and and, uh, I just need to say this because I've been talking about it because I kind of outed the fathers today. You may be a father, a dad here today. You may be listening online. You might be listening later, and you say, well, my natural father was horrible. How in the world do I know how to, how do I father my kids well? Because my dad was not an example at all. You may not have ever even have known him. I've got good news. You've been adopted into a new family, and you have a perfect heavenly father. No, no earthly father will ever be perfect, but there is a perfect father in heaven who can show us how to father our kids and those around us well. So we, don't write yourself off and just say, well, I, I'm just going to be like him, I guess. No, you have a new identity and a new nature and a new person to identify with, and that is Jesus, who's your savior. And you have a good father in heaven. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that will, what, lead you and guide you into truth and will show you like a guide going through a map. This is what you need to do. I mean, we all hear the phrase, and we all know it's not true. You know, there's all these phrases, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. We all know that. Here's another one. Time will heal all wounds. No, it won't. No, it won't. You will still be hurting, why? Because there's a festering happening in your heart and until it gets healed, you will hurt. Now it may turn from something that dominates your life to just kind of always being in the background, but this is what I can tell you, it will come out and it will be at the most inopportune time. The devil will make sure of it. He will. See, time will not heal what we will not face. There's something about facing things. Let me take it out of this context, give you an example. When we acknowledge our sin, we can become saved. But we cannot be saved if we do not acknowledge our sin. The same thing is true in the area of pain. When we face it, there can become healing. So I want to give you three quick things. How do you break the power of a wound or an interval? I'm going to give these to you really quick. And we'll be wrapping up today. I've already mentioned them, but here's how you do it. It's not complicated, but it is important. Number one, how do you break the power? You recognize it, you acknowledge it. Let me say it this way. Some of you need to acknowledge the pain, that it happened. Like, not that it hurts, the fact that it happened. Because you have buried it so deep that you don't even want to acknowledge it as part of your life. The problem is it's, it's still there. It's just covered over. But you need to what? Recognize it and repent for not allowing the Lord to heal that part of your life. Again, this isn't complicated, but it's not necessarily easy. But it, also it can be hard. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. We need to recognize it and repent. Number two is we need to forgive whoever caused that pain. Forgiveness is is huge. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay and it doesn't mean that they're okay. What it means is I refuse to allow you to hold me captive any longer. I'm gonna break the power of that in my life. So I'm gonna release you and I'm gonna trust God with you. That's not, I'm not the judge and executioner. I'm a, God, you're, you're the righteous judge. You'll take care of it. And I trust you. The third thing, equally is important, is you have to submit that area to Jesus. You have to invite him to be the Lord of that area of your life. Say, Lord, I realize that I've been holding on to this, and man, I, I've, I've been trying to insulate myself and hold it so tightly because I didn't want anybody to hurt me, and, 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 and Jesus, I need to invite you into that moment. I need to invite you into that pain. And here's what I can tell you. Jesus said, Luke 4, Jesus stood and declared, I came to heal the brokenhearted. That I, being Him being Jesus, the Savior, that I will bind up their wounds is what it says in the Old Testament. I will cause health to come. I will restore what the enemy meant for evil. I will bring health and healing to your flesh and to your soul and to your spirit. I will be that life. But we have to bring it under the Lordship of Christ. We have to. So what I ask you to do? This is how I saw it this morning at like 4.30 this morning. Like, Why were you up at 4.30? I was asking the same question. I'm not a 4.30 in the morning person. But I'm gonna ask all of you just to stand up with me. Just stand up where you are. Because here's the thing. I don't need to give an altar call. Every one of us have to deal with this at some level. And so what I saw this morning is I was just, Pondering, thinking, I, I, I just kind of got a picture in my mind this morning. At some point, I don't know what time it was, but I'm going to ask you just to take your hands and stick them out like that, or to open up your eyes to see those areas. And some of you that may be scary to you to even think about that. Like I don't want to go back to that moment. Here's the thing: is God never reveals anything that He doesn't want to do something about? He never reveals anything that He doesn't want to heal. He never reveals anything that he doesn't want to bring back into wholeness. He's a master at taking the broken and putting it back together like it had never happened before. But again, time won't heal what we won't face. And so I'm gonna lead you in a prayer in these next couple of moments. And I'm gonna walk you through these three steps that I just told you about. And I'm gonna give you a moment to pray just privately between you and the Lord. So Father God, I thank you right now Father, I thank you for your power. Father, I thank you that we declare, Father, we know from your word that you are our healer. Father, what the enemy has designed and implemented to destroy, Father, I thank you. Father, that you bring life, that you bring wholeness, that you bring wellness into every part of our being, spirit, soul, body. Father, so I thank you right now. Father, that you came to set at liberty those who were bound. To set captives free, Father. Father, we would be able to declare your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. So, Father, we thank you for your truth. Father, we ask you right now. Father, if we know it, Father, we we recognize this wound. We recognize, Father, the, the tactic of the enemy. And, Father, we repent for holding on to that right now. If you know what that is, just say it. You can whisper it, but I would encourage you, say it out loud, Lord. I repent. I acknowledge that this is an area of my life that I've not allowed you to come into. And I repent. Lord, I don't want to hold on to this any longer. Lord, I'm I'm giving this to you, I'm laying it at your feet. I'm not saying what happened was okay, but what I am saying is I'm tired of living with it in my life. I want to be whole, I want to be well. Now, I want you to forgive any person that has wounded you. This may have been a family member, a friend. This may have been a complete stranger. If you know their name, I would encourage you to say their name. Say, Lord, I'm letting them off the hook. I'm not their judge. I'm no longer going to hold this. I'm not going to remain a prisoner any longer. I forgive them. I release them. I let them go. Now, I want you to really submit that area to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I make you Lord over this area of my life. I make you Lord over this pain in my life. Father, I thank you. Father, that you are a good father. Father, that you love us with an unexplainable love. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives. Father, I thank you for your freedom. Father, there is no freedom outside of you. But, Father, I thank you that in you, Father, there is freedom. There is fullness of life and of joy. Father, I thank you for, Father, that you replace. Father, you said that you would give us the oil of joy for that of mourning. Father, these these areas of brokenness in our life, Father, I thank you that you're restoring, that you're bringing who you are into these areas of our life. So Father, I declare wholeness and health and strength over every person that's here this morning. Father, I thank you for your power. Father, do that work that only you can do. We invite you into this moment right now.